0: Hi everyone, I'm Jonathan Corrie, co-founder and CEO of Precursive. Welcome along to the Precursive Perspective, our podcast where we sit down with some of the leading minds across customer success and professional services. In each episode, I speak with people involved in scaling companies of all sizes, from hyper-growth startups to mid-market SaaS, all the way through to enterprise technology and communications companies, as well as, of course, Members of the investment and VC community now, and we explore how the best companies succeed in this continually evolving services delivery ecosystem. With uh, special guests, also including my two dogs, Cosmo and Ace, uh, my kids, Frank and Artie. Frank now famous for pulling his tooth out live on one of the shows. Uh, now, before we get into today's episode, in case you didn't know, spoiler alert. Precursive is the leading services delivery cloud for Salesforce. We combine award-winning task and resource management with easy to use professional services automation. Uh, built on the force.com platform, uh, we're 100% Salesforce Lightning native, which means you can better align your sales and delivery teams, automate project admin so that your staff get time back to focus on driving outcomes and value for your customers. We believe very deeply that there is a direct correlation between faster time to value and retention so bridging that gap between sales and success is priority one for precursive so let's get into today's episode hi everyone welcome back to an episode of the Precursive perspective happy friday unless of course you're listening to this on a tuesday in which case what's going on in the future um welcome along vj ladwa how are you sir
1: Good, good. I'm um, in the sunny Warwickshire. Um, yeah, so thanks for having me on.
0: Sunny Warwickshire for for our American cousins or European cousins joining in. That's somewhat north of London. Warwickshire, famous uh, famous cricket team, obviously. I think famous
1: cricket team. Shakespeare.
0: Shakespeare. Um, what was born there? yeah
1: Stratford. (laughs) of course of course yeah yeah very good very good love it i'd like to caveat this i've been living here for about 10 years i'm from london i'm still using my sat nav to get around (laughs) i don't claim to be an expert in warwick
0: all right right. good stuff man well listen it's great to have you on really excited about this obviously you and i've got to know each other a since I think what do we meet up at the, the pulse conference in November right that's yeah so right. it
1: was, uh, yeah. was custom success uh so sort of sort of uh gate crash that one as well so. yeah, yeah yeah did you come along to my talk yeah, that- yeah 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 oh, standing room only so standing
0: yeah. room only that's true that's true well they wanted to hear what all the fuss is about and then you know left disappointed'm I'm, I'm sure <laughs> all right well look give us a little bit about your your background in your career then
1: yeah um uh, what can I say uh, you know I've come from a Technical background, you know, I was a software engineer way back when. I did a couple of degrees, bit of consulting, um, but then I think, you know, I got my sort of proper software job uh, at Lockheed Martin, and that's a defense uh, defense contractor. Um, and that was kind of when Agile was kind of newish. Um, yeah, and I started off as a software dev, um, and I was a Scrum master. And you know, me for to be a glutton for punishment and work in different time zones. I was a UK based. Uh, Scrum Master leading a a team in the US in Orlando, which was great. Um, Certainly opened a few doors. And for my trouble, I flew out there for probably about two years. They put me on this Lockheed Martin leadership development track, which is you know I had to sign an EU waiver for my hours they had me working because I had to do my sort of program work plus all my leadership track. And uh, you know that was my first sort of training. I never used to like doing any of those sort of trainings, but this was like going back to university again to so doing your program work and then moving around the business, doing different roles uh, so from project management and, you know, getting a theory on that as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a great time. And, you know, being sort of, was it 20, 21, 22, all expenses paid, uh, you know, living the dream, right? Going to Miami every week. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Air- airplane movies yeah yeah so um yeah so traveled all around the states working on simulation and all this tech stuff yeah um but like i said got my first sort of touch of sort of leadership you asked me then i'll probably want to be a cto um but right. i kind of moved in my career a little bit and fast forward a few years and uh, yeah sold myself to accenture i had a microchip put in mm-hmm. cut my teeth in the sort of consulting background and then I, st- I was sort of tech um so i could move across all different industries and i was doing different roles of leading delivery for government projects and leading BAs and all sorts. And uh, yeah. yeah, I started off on those big projects, massive machines, but then I started seeking out these smaller ones, like in digital, like with uh, the Discovery Channel and some of the digital supermarkets in those days are sort of going, going sort of online and things. So it's kind yeah. of like the Amazon era. Yeah. So in those places, it's like going into startups every time, but you're a small Accenture team going in to, grow business and back backs against the wall kind of thing. Working with a good BA and it's just three of you know where to hide. Right, right. Um, jumping into red program. So no, it was brilliant. And yeah, so I got introduced to the world of startups, uh, worked in different domains, so joined a sort of health and safety startup. We ended up selling that twice. I was a project man. I was a project director by then. So I was yeah. uh, running projects, yeah. but I still had that software background. So I was actually being pulled in to run parts of the roadmap as well, which was quite interesting. And, in, you know, in a startup, if you've got the skills, then go do it. And if you want to do yeah. it, you've got a lot of room to move. And I've moved me between startups, scale-ups, and enterprise businesses as well. And, you know, after that, going into, uh, I think this is probably, yeah, I was, I was working for private equity. So this company buying up software verticals, initially coming in as head of PS. So same sort of bag as project delivery, software, but my first six months, I should ask more questions in my interview was uh, being in charge of a restructure to consolidate the the delivery function and turn them back into profit. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that was, a, that was a three-year transformation journey, pulling in, you know, introducing you know, the company to customer success and service delivery management as a whole. So that's perfect, way- right? No, no, that was before that. That was Tech Tech. a 30-year-old shipping company. I never worked in shipping. I come from Air Force, right? Um, so different domains. So yeah, I had to kind of get get into that sort of crowd as well. But you know, open my eyes about sort of talent and investing in people and things and restructuring and stuff. Mm. Um, and then yeah, joined a startup then. Uh, that was in the AI space. Head up delivery there and scaling them up. And then uh, Infobip uh, came knocking, mm. uh, and that was a company. Never heard of them. Billion dollar unicorn um, in Croatia. Fascinating company and. Um, yeah, that was, I, com- I was coming in as uh, one of the sort of external hires for professional services, which hadn't sort of been fully rolled out yet. So was everything that was being done by pre-sales. And this is a company substantially enterprise, but hyper growth. I mean, I've never, I've seen startups move like that, but not enterprise. So you're doing transformations in that and delivering to customers. Every day a school day, but um, really great experience there um yeah and that brings me up to today right so uh, yeah
0: yeah love it love it love the diversity right like I just yeah. think that diversity in people's careers is seeking that out is something that I always did when I, I I started in advertising then I moved into recruitment and then I moved into consulting and then this and it was always like try and do something different because it just broadens that your business acumen and your curiosity and needing to learn an industry. I yeah. think that's so important. I think I, I'm not sure if folks really understand that this, these days like enough, you know, cause kind of, cause, well, there's a tendency sometimes people will be like pigeonholed, either they get pigeonholed or they pigeonhole themselves. But anyway, um, look, one of the reasons why I was like really interested to to get you on is because you've got that blend of the consultancy background with the big machine Accenture and then running services within you know a, a tech business and um i i think that blend of experience is highly valuable particularly like depending on if you're moving I, I can't <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> good <laughs> the one tech guy in the room right
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well so and, and i just think you know you and i have talked about this about like the convergence between these worlds right and within the industries themselves so take me through or, or take us through your thoughts on how you've seen the world of consulting and ps evolve in recent years
1: yeah i think and this is not, it's probably from mix. when I first started out, it was about sort of delivering. It wasn't about sort of necessarily the value. wasn't articulated to me at that time. Yep. It was, you know, delivering billable hours or uh, a deliverable, right? A piece of software. So it's yep. a one shot. And uh, that was these long projects, you know, when I was a project director, it was like managing monthly, pro- uh, you know, projects lasting months or even years, right? Mm. Um Deploying across vessels, multi, multi-month or multi-year projects. Yep. Uh, but that's it. See you later, and then you'll slap with a a support fee, which is the recurring revenue. But all you do, all you're getting is sort of bug fixing, nothing else, right? So right. I've seen this sort of one shot piece, and what I'm seeing now is more on the you know that consultative selling piece. Um, that was them at to selling at hours and things, and I think it's more more of a case of sort of selling the the value uh, of what you're trying to deliver rather than the sort of number of hours. I think businesses are kind of increasingly sort of focused on you know what am I getting out of my sort of SaaS subscription what other value adds am I getting and I think it's more about delivering business goals and rather than selling them pieces of software or features now and you know I think essentially it's like customers want SaaS products now or have but they also want that SaaS experience with that and I think that's where the services and consultancy piece kind of a mere into identity sort of one shot into a continuous engagement philosophy or if you want to call it a philosophy model oh,
0: yeah yeah okay no i, I it, it it's totally fair right it's kind of like it's more it's moved away from being like long-term but transactional right yeah so the idea of this continuous value delivery which is a bit i don't know fancy words but that that really describes it so the thing that i'm seeing is like software businesses embedded services teams within software companies looking to have much more control and discipline right the, the biggest That's trend right. that i see is is like this you know the path to profitability as an example right now in consulting if you're not profitable you're kind of out of business <laughs> right so <laughs> You know, so expand on how are consulting companies being influenced by SaaS in your view?
1: I would say it's reoccurring revenues or consultants now, because it is a monthly engagement because they've got a SaaS product, they have to continuously show their their worth effectively. And that can be in different forms, right? That could be advocating new packages or advocating best practice, but it's not this one-shot piece. It's this sort of continuous uh, engagement through managed service, it could be sort of upsells and cross-sells. So they, these consultants or consultancy is now more of a case of being the trusted advisor, not just there to do that one shot, but I think it's a continuous. So similar to SaaS on a monthly subscription So I think consultants need to show their value um, on, a, on that kind of cycle as well. Mm. Do you think though, is there a significant
0: mindset shift, do you think for some traditional consultants? to move in that
1: direction? I I would, I would say so, because it, before it was more of a case of coming in showing, not showing people how to do their job, but showing how to do something. Mm. Whereas now it's forward thinking, building a part, building that sort of program of work Mm. um, or program of engagement as, as you will, uh, you know, adoption, are they getting more value on their initial investment of this product? Yeah. Um, I think that's part of part and parcel. I think Consultancy can go into so many different areas of that journey, and it's it's up to the consultant now to map out that business value uh, and make sure that customer is a customer for life and not just this whole one-shot piece.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, enter one of the the one of the value, the one of the um drivers of enterprise value in consulting firms is rebook rates, right? Mm -hmm. Reoccurrence, um, which is uh, like sort of combined with that client NPS type score. Um, so no, I hear you there going the other way then when you moved into like, take that info bit Rolf, right. For example, so mm-hmm. when you moved into a tech company that had a lower level of maturity in, in, in services, like I I'm guessing that you brought quite a lot of discipline and rigor to it and structure to it. What is it that like SAS companies or software companies generally can learn from the consulting environment? So we've talked a little bit about what the other way. So.
1: Right, right. No, I think, you know, there's, there's quite a few different areas as well. So potentially going to a tech company, it's very delivery focused. Implementation, I call that sort of tapping keyboard. It's quite low on the value chain. It's probably seen in you know, a product company, it's probably seen as like a means to an end. Uh, I think it's, a you know, it's getting them into consumption. It's a good model, but there is, you're leaving money on the table. And this is where consultancy sort of comes in now. Um, I think the biggest thing consultancy come in, it, using some of those lessons from consultancy, is uh, that value-based selling—not just features, but real business outcome. I think you actually move up the value chain and start building out packages or, or certain different service areas. And I think opening that area in a tech company, because there are the resource, there are technical, but they are naturally trusted advisors. No, it's just honing that in. I think that was one of the the key pieces that info bit putting some rigor into that sort of value based selling um rather than just hours or one deliverable milestone at a time
0: mm-hmm. I mean the thing that I I think about just what all, all that's come to my mind there is that the the typical thing that 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 software vendors will do is they'll well, if they're sophisticated, if they got any degree of sophistication is they'll be talking about the role of customer success in pre-sale, right? So for example, you might have a customer success manager. Um, They're going to do X, Y, and Z. They're picking up the baton in the customer journey here. We're going to do A, B, and C for you, right? Now, the the I think the challenge for many, particularly if you're looking to stand up more of these offerings, right, and monetize it, is, is actually sort of migrating from that to something that's monetized. So I, I think that there's a challenge around either, because if you've got that embedded sort of mindset in the company of like you've done it that way and then you're introducing it, it's quite a shift, I would imagine, to change it over time. Or you've got to be much more um, sophisticated in terms of how you introduce it that idea of additional services actually in the pre-sale cycle as value add, right? Which is yeah. I, I get I'm I'm guessing that's
1: yeah, and I think it, it ties into Sorry. Do you see where I'm coming from on that? 100 percent And you know, like I said, there's so many different stones you can turn on this. Part of it is just that orchestration of what, what it is to be a customer. So, you know, that customer journey piece. So now introducing new services at the right point for that customer. Where are they on that journey with you? Have they just onboarded, do you wait six months and then start introducing new packages and services? Um, Segmentation on the customer. What type of, where are they operating? Uh, And what are those business goals? I think i mean it is quite it can be quite basic you know articulating that customer journey it could be just who does what where when a lot of companies everyone's running around like a 5 side football team um and you, you've got a customer in there and i think that's a piece of orchestration that should happen when you're trying to layer layer services on top of the the product um yeah. so i think the whole solution layer you're developing and uh, yeah communicating leaning on customer success support yeah. I mean, this whole holistic approach
0: yeah no, that I mean that feeds in very nicely to the the sort of the transformation experience that you've you've seen, right? I mean, you've talked to me before about that orchestration and not sort of biting off more than you can chew of like sequencing it or co- choreographing yeah. it and what you commit to. So, given you you've been through that transformation initiative, well, actually, maybe tell us a little bit about like the the, the in the last role. Just, just to frame this, could you give us a little bit of an overview about what did that transformation initiative entail over those years? Like, sort of, because you've broken it down for me before. Just maybe do that to begin with, and then we'll talk about the learnings. Yeah. Stuff. So, I
1: mean, I could probably draw upon sort of SpecTech and sort of InfoBib as well. Yeah. Um, similar, similar, or similar sort of states. Um, you know, for services was effectively a means to an end. At SpecTech, services was run, run at a complete loss. Um, right. And with Infobip, it was a case of breaking that uh, customer journey out across the dedicated departments, rather than everything being done in sort of pre-sales for free, and then there's no value in that services. So, part of it was mapping out those sort of objectives of what you're trying to achieve and then orchestrating the sequencing of what's going to happen when, when and how that is communicated. Um, even SpecTech, I came to that organization thinking I could get them from straight project management or straight projects um, to service delivery function, which is proactive within a year. It took me two and a half years and that involved creating global service hubs and consolidating that down. So. It, it is it is tough, certainly rewarding, but I think the key takeaway on in any if anyone's in that sort of situation is to sort of embrace the sort of getting it right the second time. There's so much that can happen because you've got customers you have to deliver, to deliver to in the meantime, this is all internal. So I think, you know, in SAS PS, Perfection. I've never well, i I've, I've never seen it. Perfection on the first try is quite rare, I think. And I expect challenges and you know complexities. That's something I picked up from Valora Group, that PE company. I mean, I was this was at a bar with one of the CEOs who cornered me and um they said, BJ, you got to make a decision how what's the plan. And this and it was so complex. And they said, look, just put the plan and make sure you got your pivot points in. And make sure that you've got capable. You've got some sort of measure to know when to pivot if things don't go right. And I think that whole getting it right second time uh, is so important that it, the goal is to sort of iterate, improve, and learn, and foster that environment of you can make a mistake, but you know you better yeah. be sure you've got pivot points in there. So I think yeah. this whole transformation—it's quite easy to say, right? We're going to do this from the start, and mm-hmm. you know we're going to get to this end time in nine months and run it like a like a typical old school project. Um, yeah. But I think you know, in in this space especially, um, getting it right that sort of second time is more important than trying to hit the first time. I think even just breaking it down into smaller iterations, like software, so leaning on my software background as well. There's small chunks, uh, quick wins. Um, that's probably the the safer way to do, it. and you know, you'll find out more stuff. I think the bigger the company, the more comms you have to do, or uh, the more um, dare I say politics <laughs> to be done as well, right? Yeah. So.
0: No, I, I, I'm i laughing because, like, I'm living that. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Right I spent, I spent yeah, everyone I'm on your that Your whole right
1: audience has probably gone, gone through that.
0: And I think that's actually quite reassuring because I think, you you know, you kind of set benchmarks in your, or at least I do. And that's one of the things I've learned running a small business is, is you set this idea in your head that you're going to get it right the first time. And then you're like, oh, you know, we've failed or that person's not worked out or you know they can't do it we can't do it and it's like hold on actually you've got to be a lot more measured and realistic because if you think everybody out there is getting it right the first time yeah and i think the more that i talk to people when you've like folks like you with experience particularly even in much much bigger companies they're getting it entirely wrong i've seen this with i've seen this with a customer like recently like the person that brought us in they into this particular company was looking at monetizing services right and so they were bringing in precursive as a PSA solution to help them do things like the resourcing and manage the costs and track the margin that they hadn't done previously right Mm. now part of that was like selling packages like their initial selling of packages and that person left the business after about a year the new person that's come in. So, this is probably 18 months, circa 18 months after that first person started. So, we've been talking to that person and it's exactly the same job spec as that person 18 months yeah. ago. Exactly the same. Same conversations as well. <laughs> same thing because evidently different toilet the sales of those services offerings didn't transpire or happen within the time range that this particularly kind of like aggressive culture business wants to happen. And it's like, well, actually you're probably going to get it right the second time. Cause you know, you know more about those things. So I think that's, that's going to be a little motto, I think, for the services delivery alliance, isn't it as well? Yeah,
1: I think so. And it, it actually took me, you know, a while to get that. I've come from an engineering background. I want to get it right first time. That's how I was schooled. Right. You have to be precise. Right. right? and it's only when I had these some good mentors about I hate to use the word strategy but you know it was strategically planning pivot points and knowing more you always find out more I think that was a good lesson I've just carried forward it, it took me a while to grasp that one um, I'm not ashamed to admit you know when I was a lot younger I used to spiral into analysis paralysis right and it's yep. you, you, there's so many books about that yeah but until you're in it and yeah. you, you actually see, actually, a lot of people, they learn learn by doing. You know, InfoBip, that was one of our, our mottos, is learn by doing. And you know, that was a, yeah. one great that was great thing about that company is everyone's so proactive. Um, yeah. They want to they try everything new, sometimes yeah. too quickly, right? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely.
0: I think we're seeing that a little bit as we look to grow our services as, as a service. Um. So what is what we call services recurring revenue, so SRR, right? That mm. about.
1: And, um, Copyright pending or...?
0: I'd like to think so. (laughs) I'd like to think so. Uh, I'm going to be banging on about it a lot, so I might have to trademark something. Um, Maybe banging on about it as a phrase will be what what we have. But I think I'm definitely seeing that because we're getting into the conversations about it, but we haven't quite reached the level of maturity in that area versus actually the selling of our software. So our sort of software sales is Mm. a bit ahead of our managed services sales. And I think part of it is you sort of have this assumption that because it's a client, there'll be this pull through and this recognition, right. That, Oh, we need this. It's like, and to us as vendors, it's like you, these guys definitely need this. (laughs) Like there's continuous improvements, but you're going to need, but actually again, helping them understand that like the pain of same versus the pain of change or like the value of that, you know, it's again, that's been a, a sort of a big learning for me um you're really passionate about people and you you talk to me about how you've like some of the learnings in adjusting your management style and things like this so given that ps is underpinned by people right talk to me about this area right like like share your thinking around this the frameworks that you use and and what folks need to appreciate if they're really going to build up the talent in their organization yeah
1: I think um, nurturing talent is something something that has certainly become a passion of you, know, you know just becoming a leader managing lots of people um, something I didn't think I'd be doing 20 10 15 years ago yeah. um, and I think that comes from just my training and is, I would say it was, it was intense training at Lockheed and we were schooled and is very forward-thinking company um, still are and we were schooled on Effectively holding people's careers in your hands, providing that sort of sandbox and giving them room to experiment. And I think that's where you've that's that X factor of finding those diamonds in the rough. I think you know, getting someone promoted or giving them additional accountabilities, it sounds all uh, mushy, but that's some of the some of my highlights in, in terms of achievements and things. But I think, you know. My approach to sort of just managing talent or building up talent or pipeline is very holistically, you know, you know, anything from talent pipeline, um, you know, I like to call it a fat bottom, especially in PS. So we talked about packages and moving up the sort of value chain. So, yep. you know, building out a good sort of intern program. something that info that we really good at. So it's basically cheap people doing cheaper work and they, you know, build them up, creating those destination companies because, you know, it improves your margins that way as well. think defining roles you know career paths making sure that not consultant could just be lumped in i was lumped in as a consultant but within accenture i did 15 different roles delivery manager quality issue you name it still lumped as a a consultant but i think having defined roles of principal senior implementation consultant it helps you sort of differentiate your service as well you can charge different rates um yeah career paths (laughs) seriously, I've got into organizations where the only sort of way you're going to earn any more money is, and the only promotion path is manager. Well, a lot of my sort of peers do not want to be people managers. They want to be principal architects and things. So having that sort of career path uh, put out. So I think there's a lot of so again lots of things you can do there's not one silver bullet i think communication expected behaviors that sort of thing showing what sort of good looks like i don't think anyone sort of goes to work saying i'm going to do a bad job but if you don't show what's expected of you and when you do something and again pulling into that sort of customer journey who does where what when uh, you know, expect mixed results if you don't do it that way and i think um yeah it's not rocket science but I think you know again communicating training looking at your skills matrix resourcing I mean these are all standard professional services schools of thought but yeah, yeah. every time I go into a company it's kind of half done especially you, you know with PSAs there's always a resource module does anyone using that to its full- fullest and showing where skills are and you know does anyone what?
0: actually know how to resource though that's the other big issue right there's a big difference for having a re- we have a resource manager or that person does resourcing but if they don't like that's a discipline that's like Mm -hmm. HR business partners finance business partners that I've worked with like in past and bigger companies like it's a discipline and therefore there's a lot of folks don't necessarily understand that they don't understand what demand forecasting is or (laughs) if you've you've got your sales you've
1: got your backlog you've got is there buffers in there? How much of that is book and earn? How much are you just, you know, in your forecasting, how much don't you even know about? That's just going to happen every month because that's your normal business that you can have these transactional projects. And I think with talent, just assessing the performance of individuals, again, you know, working with HR, again, with uh, Valaris Group, uh, you know, during that restructure period, I worked side by side, global HR director. I learned a lot from her. Um, but again, in assessing that and that and nowadays people want more from their companies as well so i think looking at sort of internal uh, engagement or or c as you as you as you put it as well i think that's fundamental as well Um, Mm. when i was when i was coming up it was about delivering what you know objectives do a really good job and yeah you get your bonus i think um certainly what i've seen the last three four years especially during covid times people are sort of expecting more from their employers as well
0: yeah no, I couldn't agree more. I think the roles and the expect the expected behavior and the role description is something where it is a moving beast as well, right?
1: It's mm.
0: a target. Like what you, going back to your get it right second time, I think one of my observations is like you go down maybe one path and that doesn't quite work as you thought it would. And is it the path or is it the people who are walking the path or is it a bit of the two? That's- And it's super and having the self-aware, like literally part of the reason why I was a few minutes late was I was talking about with this, about with my wife who runs people for an event business. And I was trying to explain this. I was asking her opinion on it. Like, is it this, you know, is it, is it that, is it this person not doing their job or is it the strategy? And it's actually, it's all of those, Yeah. it's all of those things together. And inevitably, I think in PS in particular, you're coming in, you're inheriting a team. You're inheriting a methodology. You're, you've got the product that you've got, right? And, and so that's an evolving thing. Your product, your people, right? Is an evolving piece. And that's why it's so, I think, fascinating in a way and challenging because talent management, the other dynamic to it Talent management in PS is that you may well have one of the biggest teams in the company. Uh,
1: uh, yeah. Um, and you and and that is normally the case. Uh, because right. and you're responsible for making sure that you're either driving consumption or making sure they're using the product. Um, you're that, like I said before, potentially a necessary evil if you're not selling your services properly and turning a yeah. profit. So yeah, yeah you do. Um, you know, at SpecTech, I, I incorporated support. So I was handling all of support as well as success and PS. It was the whole service piece. Yeah, Big team, but nurturing leaders in there as well. Um, you know, mm. Some great leaders in there. But I think just to your point about um, is it is it the person, is it the sort of objectives? I think potentially you have to have the sort of the hard metrics as well uh, to drive the behaviors, not just have sort of KPIs for the sake of KPIs because you've seen it on a white paper that, yeah, we're going to have to sort of, measure that and that's going to drive up productivity and people are going to be happy about that um I've incentivized it quite simply I've I've gone to extremes where I've shown my KPI my bonus model effectively and I've cascaded that down to my team so yeah and then my managers will uh, cascade theirs to their direct report so everyone I'm not successful if my team aren't successful effectively but I think yep. and I don't expect my managers to do that but I'll certainly do it um yep yeah i think my my at Valaris, my manager uh well he wasn't even my manager he was like the the coo of Valaris group um for development plans Mm -hmm. if you're a manager and your direct reports didn't have development plans completed correctly and to standard Mm -hmm. it would go against his kpi and now he's so can you imagine him calling you out and he's literally holding your career on that kpi yeah uh, so it just shows our talent is looked at now it has to be done correctly and COs, CEOs CEOs there they have their part to play in that as well
0: mm. no no I, I i agree i mean in some cases i think the just one final thing on that though that like some, sometimes like the framework of that performance development is overly complicated i think yeah. it's like it can be p- particularly if you've got someone who's maybe underperforming in role it's just like let's get you to the baseline Because there's no point in us worrying about the future Mm. if you're not at the baseline, right? And we need to agree on what the baseline is, or to a certain extent, you're going to need to accept that if you're working for someone, like there is an expectation of what the baseline is by your manager or the company. Zeroing in then on some of the metrics. So what are some of the metrics that matter when it comes to measuring the health and the performance of of a services business?
1: This might even be controversial. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I think we mentioned it before. We talked about engagement. You know, just on talent, we talked about engagement. I yep. think for me, um, and this is a shift, right? You know, I've gone from utilization. It's, it's yep. EMPS, so employee net promoter score engagement. I think when you mentioned sort of people are, the, you know, fundamental to our business, I think that is one of the sort of KPIs that I look at uh, now, never used to, um, just because the you know, sector's moved on. Is making sure that we, we've got an in- engaged workforce. And I think it, it kind of lends itself to, you know, people expect more, but I think it lends itself to that old adage. And it's, it's quite, quite simplified, but you know, happy employees, people, they're going to delight their customers and delighted customers are going to make happy stakeholders. And when I say stakeholders, that's me, you, CFOs, hit your revenue targets and things. Um, I, I'm not just talking about just being happy, it's engaged. So. That that's the sort of layer I look at. So I have that as my sort of top layer. And I've gone to companies where have got it completely background, it's backwards, it's stakeholders, then customers, then employees last, right? Yeah. Um, I, I put that as the sort of the layer on top of everything. So that's what I would be communicating as well. But when you talk about sort of the health of the business, I I in that layer I put and it does depend on the business objective and what they're trying to do or what their goal is at that time. It could be consumption, it could just be growth, it could be efficiency. But I always break it down into sort of lagging and sort of leading indicators and it's nothing crazy you know lagging revenue margin utilization i like to look at that not as the one kpi but as part of a mix and chain uh, customer chain yeah. cost of acquired customers does more on the lag side, but on the leading um time to value uh, nps you know do these companies want to work with us again are we shortening that time to value are we delivering that value um and then yeah you know the traditional forecast forecast hours and life customer life value so i kind of mix it all um so leading and lagging but i do have emps running over the top of that because i think that's something that um your workforce can really hold on to and those different kpis will mean more to different people depending on their role and things but that's how i yeah. in, in general assess the sort of health and performance of the business when, when oh. I, especially no no I like it lots I like of KPIs
0: <laughs> no I like it I like I like the fact that you've gone with leading and lagging I think that's I think that's a good way to to think about it I think sometimes we look at metrics a bit one dimensionally I think the other thing one of the things that kind of I'm tuning into and it was coming off the back of that session the other day right that we had mm-hmm. in the services delivery alliance on the experience of one of the members with um it was Nondus, wasn't it where he was talking about. How they were on the path to profitability and the trend some of the challenges with transparency, right? Of, mm-hmm. of like how we, how and what we communicate, and maybe over communicating too much or communicating it in, in the right way. So I think yeah, I one know. of the things that I'm kind of tuning into is you've got the business is setting targets, right? Like you mentioned, the business is setting targets and the leaders of that business and it cascades down to managers, but they have targets. So that target might be revenue, might be ARR, it might be margin, right? There are then KPIs, right, which influence, right, that target, but aren't necessarily, depending on how they're set, a target. So for example, time to value, some companies set that as a target, but others have it as a KPI. And therefore how those metrics, because they're all, metrics, data points, how those are all measured and perceived is quite interesting because there's a difference between having a target and working towards a KPI, for example. Um, I also think that one of the things that I'm starting to think through is how you fold those KPIs and metrics into like revenue generating areas versus profitability areas, right? Versus customer success. And actually some of the convergence between the two, because I think time to value is probably for me, at least in software, the number one, or one of the number one, it's in the top three. And the reason for that is not just because of, because the natural tendency is towards um, customer success. So they think about it in terms of like that'll influence retention, for example, or expansion revenue or people buying more. For me, it's a big profitability metric as well, because if you're delivering efficiently, if you've got a target and you're hitting that target, you're pulling the team off that and putting them onto something yeah. else. You're not incurring additional cost by overrun, which are all things that eat into your profitability. So I think that there's, um I think there's going to be an interesting kind of evolution of how people think about those metrics, or at least it's something that I want to drive. I don't know what you think about that. No, it's
1: definitely 100% <laughs> with you on the time to value being an efficient business is a profitable business i mean i think last year if you look at most sort of businesses it's all about growth the year before that this year is more about efficiencies and you yep. know doing more with less right. time to value fits in very nicely with that um there is there's a delay especially in your con- if you're in a consumption business but you're not going to get you know you're not going to get some, you know, consumption on day 1 it takes time to build that up The shorter you can deliver um, the client to that state, the the more chance you've got to increase consumption. You get your revenue sooner. All sorts. I've seen different takes on time to value. Uh, um, You may have even forged me the articles. Um, I think there's a term of time to launch, or it's a fixed date. So time to value. There's an argument time to value can be subjective. So this whole having a goal or having a target. Maybe did you well, do for it, most law? It was, me that? Business, <laughs> it, right? it was our research,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Oh, so, no, it, Sh- it showed, shameless plug. <laughs> well, it showed that there's just this n- not confusion, but basically, most people classify launch as value, right? Yeah. Whereas the client doesn't. And
1: mm, I was definitely. talking to
0: a company and they were like, We have this, we've been tracking this new metric called surprising churn. I'm like, That's a great name for it. Um, and we we found that we're surprised. That, why, why were we surprised? because we had fast launch times but it wasn't value and yep. so and you're right that va- value is so very um uh like you know obtuse subjective whatever you want to call it um and it moves right it's like well there was the initial reason why maybe we bought like yep. it's precursive it's generally step one is bring order to the chaos everyone's working in spreadsheets it's a shit show let's sort that out visibility and control to begin with what it exposes after about two to three months is that people haven't got their processes or their governance where they want it to be because it's throwing up all of this stuff around how do we do stuff are we efficient no we're not why aren't we Da, da 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 and therefore then there's this tweaking of processes and how it's managed in the tool and that's like then you're on to this second value bar moment where they've gone from like i know what's going on to how do i improve this using the product
1: yeah Um,
0: and it's kind of so i just think it's it's a moving a moving target now just want to finish on something which is a bugbear for me and i know you as well busy fools (sighs) my vj term (laughs) So, like utilization. I'm going to finish on utilization. Everyone's favorite PS, one of everyone's favorite PS metrics. Uh, Why? What do you need to be careful about?
1: Making sure you, well, there's quite a few things actually. I think it can be misleading if it's not, you're not using it, if you're using it in isolation. It's a very blunt tool, right? It's available utilization and there's productive. Um, you know, productive could be seen as, yeah, you're adding value. and it could be the value that you're talking about or it could be something else but it's not earning any money uh, internally so those are the two types and I think differentiating can certainly help um, because there could be principles I would expect them to be low billable or lower but be amplifying the rest of the team so not productive so you're increasing the efficiency of the rest of the team so driving profit there as well but also like I said um, not all billable work is the same Right, some could be highly complex and it's undersold, so or it's more hours. So I think it is a case of knowing what you're tracking as well. And again, using utilization on the flip side, right? So high utilization, yeah, great. But is it? Are you setting a benchmark? You know, it's not. You're not trying to get to 100%, because you could kill people, (laughs) literally stress them out, and you're going to decrease productivity. And then low, people getting bored, um, or is there another problem? So using utilization as an indicator. Is the more I would say is a more mature approach to that layering of KPIs. I think it just points you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Um, and it's in every company I've been, um, there's it's the, it's similar conversations, and and it's not always one conversation. It's multiple ones. Uh, it's uh, and, and it's great just hearing all the different sort of opinions on how people use it as well. But I've come to you know use it as one of the one of the indicators on, on business as well. But yeah, let's yeah. not have busy fools and make sure productive utilisation is productive. Um, yeah. There
0: you go. I, no, I like it. I like it. Thank you. I, it's it's funny because I was looking at something this morning, right? I was looking at, um, so we have this situation where we could potentially do a POC, right? Uh, mm. For quite a large company. And the person that would do the work, so I look in Precursor and I can see their utilisation, I know they have capacity, but I'm sort of like looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, like, well, it's, you know, this is for next week. So that's relatively short notice. It's not unheard of, right? But I'm like, hmm, the the bit that I then go and look at is actually what are they doing? Mm. Because is it, and as it turns out, there's a deployment next week. So, so the clarity that I want to get potentially from the individual, potentially from their manager is more like, do we actually anticipate that that deployment will need a little bit more care and attention and therefore like going back to some contingency. So if I lump in this addition, it's like a day's worth of work that this person would do to set up a a, a POC. right? So like, that's going to, that's going to take them from a, they're about 65% utilized. That's going to, that's going to bump them up. And I'm just like, hmm, there's this lens of util versus what it is. Like, is it sensible? Like, there's this human overlay to it that needs to combine, like, the availability, like, the when with the what, right? And then sort of in the background is, like, underneath is the margin, of course, right? That's for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. But no one else cares about that. So and I've thing. almost been thinking about there isn't I, I use the phrase like this one dashboard to rule them all like I don't know Lord of the Rings inspired yeah, I a spreadsheet that. like that yeah right <laughs> 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 and I'm like you know what yeah it is interesting to try and have everything consolidated in one place but in a way some things I do want to segment because I want to look at them in isolation um, I don't want to have my view on it colored by profit and margin I can do that as well but anyway
1: well, so, it. Is it is the thing just on that because similar thing. so we talked about sort of expected behaviors and one thing yeah. I did expect spectacle i think we called it the money tree or something i can't remember what we let them name it yeah. but the expected behavior is here's here's your sort of target to get incentivized the expected behavior is to look at the resource planner and yeah. and hunt out work that you could do that was expect that became you know that was in as a flip rather than being assigned you assign yourself yeah um so you know it could be that but again contingency risk um i think that's part of the maturity of the individual and person you know like you mentioned the discipline of that resource manager or whoever it is yeah doing all those pieces i think yeah um i hope it's not a friday deployment (laughs) it is but that's oh, deliberate, wow. got...
0: deliberate for the weekend, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so he's got some baked in overtime, right?
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. That's definitely one to check. Double bubble. So, <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming on. No, um, great,
1: great being here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, we're going to do a little shameless plug here at the end for the for the Services Delivery Alliance. So I've started those listening along who tune into more than one of these shows or have noticed over the last couple I've been mentioning what this is. So... We've created, and I'm delighted to say, Vijay, you're one of the founding members of this, along with some others, a a network for professional services leaders, um, which the idea of which is to bring people together to discuss strategy, topics, execution, the shared challenges that everyone faces. I'm just curious to get your your feedback on participating in that community I think,
1: so far. yeah no it's uh certainly great I, I often think that ps is like an island in the, in an organization and there's all lots of material out there but talking to individuals who have got the same questions or the same issues and and you, you just looked at it in a different way and oh i could use that and i'm you know people have reached out to me on linkedin and say oh how did you do that and i say here you go and it's all free right I think that's the the beauty of it. And it's, you know, it's a one-stop shop to find out everything you wanted to know about PS or service delivery, but, but we're afraid to ask, right? Yep. So uh, I think that's, that's the beauty of working with peers. Um, yeah. There's a lot of knowledge in that group. Well, I've got a question I'm going to post in the Slack group,
0: which is all about like the materials of sequencing for selling managed services.
1: Cool. Because
0: I'm curious to know, like, Uh, Is it, 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 you know, do people use proposals up front and then proposals and data sheets or do they combine it? So check that later on and you can give me a response. But thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. uh, And enjoy the rest of your Friday, sir. Perfect. Speak soon.
1: Take care.